Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge. Glad you're here. Whether you're in the room and I can see you or you're online uh, or however you're joining us, we're just glad that you're here. So uh, a few years ago, there was an article that came out that told a story about this guy named David Lee Witherspoon Jr., and he was walking out of his workplace. He worked at a food pantry. And as he was walking out, he saw this guy, and this was in Arizona, uh, in the summertime. And so it was blistering hot. And he looked out and he saw across the street, there was a guy crawling across the street on all fours. And he thought, well, that's really weird. Something must be wrong. And so he quickly ran over and he, and he started talking to this guy and he said, what's going on? Why are you crawling on the, on the pavement? And he said, well, some things have happened recently and I ended up being homeless and I, I was left with basically nothing and I don't have any way to get socks or shoes for my feet anymore. And, and so I have nothing to protect my feet from the hot pavement here in Arizona. And so I'm crawling around. And so the guy obviously felt, immediately felt compassion for him, and so he ran back to his car and he grabbed uh, an extra pair of shoes that he kept in his car for some reason. I don't know about you, but I don't keep extra pairs of shoes in my car. But he did, and so he grabbed this extra pair of shoes, and I don't know if he had socks in there or not, and then he grabbed a water bottle, and he brought the water bottle, obviously, for the guy to drink, but then before he did that, he used a little bit of the water, and he took the guy's feet, because they were obviously sore, and they were dirty, and they were kind of blistered, and, and he began to do the best he could to wash the guy's feet. And then he slipped carefully the shoes onto this guy's feet, and he said, there, now you can uh, walk around on the pavement. Now, this is an amazing story, right? I don't know how many of us would be willing to do such a thing for a complete stranger, somebody that we don't know. But what's interesting, the reason I tell you that story is because I wanted to give you the title of this, of this article that I read. And the title of the article was, Modern Day Good Samaritan Helps Man with No Shoes. Wow, amazing title, right? It explains exactly what I just said. But the reason that title is interesting is because it said, Good Samaritan. Now, when I say Good Samaritan, immediately what do you think of? You think of a person that is doing something good for somebody else that they don't know, right? Whenever you hear in the news or you hear anything, anybody talk about a Good Samaritan, immediately we think a Good Samaritan is a person who does something for somebody else, usually somebody they don't know, Right? It was just a random person. They saw a need and they met it in the moment. They're a good Samaritan. Now, the question I have for you is, where does this term good Samaritan come from? Well, a lot of us in here already know the answer to that. It comes from a very short story that Jesus himself told, and it's recorded in the New Testament. And it's called the parable of the good Samaritan. And Jesus tells this amazing story, and so what I want to do today is I want to continue our series that we've been in called Backstory, and we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, but we're not going to really focus on that story very much today. Some of you are like, oh man, I love that story. I'm glad you love that story. You're going to hear that story. I'm going to read the story. We're just not going to spend a long time talking about that story. Yes, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but not a lot. What I want to do is I want to spend most of our time here talking about the backstory, the story that led to Jesus telling that story. Because a lot of us know the good story of the Good Samaritan, but we don't know why Jesus told that story. And so we're going to talk about the backstory to the story. But first, 
Let's actually read the story, all right? So Jesus is telling the story. It's Jesus himself speaking, and this is how Jesus begins his story in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 30. Jesus starts this way. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. That was a pretty extravagant gift that this guy gave. He, he put him on his own donkey. He used his own supplies to, to try to heal his wounds. And then he took him to a hotel and he paid for this guy to stay at the hotel and, and for him to stay there for a few more nights. And then he said, if the, if the bill runs higher than this, when I come back, I promise I'll come back and I will pay the rest of the bill. This is a big deal, right? I don't know about you, but to pay for somebody to stay in a hotel for several nights would be a huge deal for our family. We rarely stay in hotels. We usually stay with people we know. You know why? Because it's a lot cheaper right? And so this is an amazing gift, but, and it's a great story, but, but the question is, why did Jesus tell this story? Jesus was making a really simple but a really important point, but why? What was the context that led to that story? We know the story, but we don't always know why he told it. And so I want to go back to the backstory. We're going to go just a few verses before what I read. We don't have to go back far, to understand the context of where this story was being shared and why it was being shared, all right? So we're going to go back to Luke chapter 10, still in that same chapter, but just a few verses before verse 25. This is how the whole thing begins. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to spend eternity with God? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So this is kind of what precipitates leading us up to the story, but the story doesn't happen yet, okay? So this guy stands up, this religious law expert, which means, just so that we're clear, he wasn't an, an, an expert in the court of law, he was an expert in biblical law. So he was really, 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 really knowledgeable about the Bible, what we consider to be the Bible at this time. All they had at that point was the Old Testament, not the New Testament, but he was really knowledgeable. He was an expert in it. And so he's trying to test Jesus. And so he asks Jesus that question. He says, 
how do I inherit eternal life? It's a really good question. But I want to ask you this question. How did Jesus respond to his question? What was the first thing out of Jesus' mouth after he asked that question? What did you notice? It was another question, wasn't it? Jesus is a really good teacher. Let me just say, the teachers, and some of you I know, you're in here, you're teachers. I'm sorry, I'm digging into your profession. But the really good teachers, you know what the really good teachers do? When a student asks a question, the good teachers don't give them the answer. They ask them a question so that they can figure the answer out. Because two things will happen. Number one, it will help them think better about trying to figure it out. And once they learn the answer, they're going to have the answer a little bit better than what they did before. Right? And so Jesus answers the question with a question. In fact, when I was a teacher, I used to do this. The students would ask me a question. They'd come up and say, Mr. Bickle, which always sounded weird, by the way. To you guys, I'm sure it sounds weird like you're Brent. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> right? But they say, Mr. Bickle, I have a question. And then they would ask the question. And usually, not every time, but usually, I would answer their question with another question. And they would look at me like, you're one of those teachers. <laughs> right? And I would ask them a question back. Why? Now, there's a couple of reasons why I would do that. One, it's, there's one of two possibilities that are going on there. One, and in high school, let me just tell you, I heard that, I saw this one a lot. Sometimes they already know where to find the answer. They're just being lazy and they want me to just give them the answer. They don't have to look it up. And so I'm going to ask a question so that I can let them know, okay, either you already know the answer or you know where to look for the answer. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you by asking you another question. Uh, okay, I'll look on page, you know, 73. I got it, right? Or they don't know the answer and they don't know how to find the answer. That's okay. I'm glad that they asked me the question. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig back in with them and I'm going to ask them a question that hopefully leads them to where they can find the answer or figure the answer out for themselves. Now, if we have to go back and forth and ask a lot of questions, we'll do that. And they'd be like, Mr. Bickle, like, this took three minutes, and it could have taken 10 seconds. Yeah, but you wouldn't have learned as well, right? By the way, I do this to my kids when they're working on homework, too. Some of you would hate to have me as a teacher or a parent, wouldn't you? It's okay. But Jesus asked this question, why? Because he knows that this guy probably has an answer, and he's just trying to test him. And so Jesus wants to hear what his answer is. And he gives him this answer. But this leads us to the first point that I will make, the first point of three make, points that I'm going to make today. If we want to help people learn more about Jesus, if we want to point people to Jesus with our life, I would suggest that we need to stop making arguments and throwing social media posts and trying to make statements to people. I think instead of that, let's actually start asking more questions. Asking a question tends to be a lot less threatening than me throwing a truth statement at them. Do you know Jesus? Why don't you know Jesus? Jesus is the greatest thing. What are you doing? If I come at you like that, people are going to come at me like something else. But if I come at them simply asking a question, and I'm honest and I'm genuine about it, then we can actually get somewhere. I might learn something about them. I might learn a little bit about who they are. And guess what? If you ask somebody a question and you genuinely listen, what does that show to the other person that you're talking to? 
What does that demonstrate to them? It demonstrates that you actually might care about them. I don't know about you, but if I ask a question and then I just sit back and I just listen, that tells the other person, I didn't just ask the question to be nice. I actually want to know what you have to say. I think we need to start asking more questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions. And he was amazing with his impact with people. By the way, he changed the world. <laughs> so He did it largely through questions. So Jesus answers this guy with a question, and the guy answers the question, right? He says, well, what do you think? How do you think you should inherit eternal life? And he says, well, I think I should love God, and I should love my neighbor as myself. Well, that's really good, Jesus says, because you just quoted the Old Testament, right? He's a law expert. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And so he says, I need to love God, and I need to love other people like I love, you know, I need to love my neighbor as much as I love myself. And Jesus says, yeah, great. Why'd you ask me the question? No, he didn't say that, right? But he knew that. He knew this guy already knew the answer, and he says, right, that's a great answer. Yes, do that, and you're going to live. But this law expert was not looking for the truth. You understand. This law expert, he didn't care about the truth. He wasn't trying to find the truth. He wasn't actually being genuine with his question. He didn't care about what Jesus said, actually. He was trying to test Jesus, and his true intentions become clear with the second question that he asks, because we haven't even gotten to the story yet. So let me take you to the next question. So he answers and says, love God, love my neighbor as myself. Yep, Jesus says, yep, absolutely. And then this happens, Luke 10, 29. The man, the law expert, wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now this is a question that we actually have a term for now. I wouldn't say that I completely agree with how we use this term. In fact, I would say a lot of people use this term uh, in, in the wrong way, and some, probably most of us have not even heard this term. But this term is called confirmation bias. It's a phrase called confirmation bias. It's when we read articles, we tag social media posts, we listen to people not to hear the truth, but to confirm our own opinions and beliefs and what they are already. It's confirmation bias. It's where we go seeking everything we can to support our opinion and our position. Right? And by the way, the way that our smartphones work, we've made this a major problem. Right? Because as soon as you look up, you know, that uh, air mattress that you need, what are you going to get for the next several weeks on your advertisements? You all know. You're going to get, uh, you, there's going to be a hundred different companies that make air mattresses that you never knew of before, right? Why? Because you did that one search that one time, or you asked Google about it, right? Hey, where do I get this air mattress? Ooh, they want an air mattress. <laughs> Spam them like crazy. They might buy out. Confirmation bias is when we go seeking a way to support our opinion, our views, our ways. And that's what this guy is doing. Now, 
understand it's okay to do research. It's okay to read things about what you support and about you know, your beliefs and your system and your things. I, I read people all the time that believe in God and believe the Bible is true and, 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 and wonderful and amazing and, and authority in our life. I read people about that all the time. And so I, I read things that definitely agree with what I agree with all the time. But I also make sure to talk to people and, and read things that I totally don't think are right at all. Why? Because if all we ever do is surround ourselves in a bubble of people and information that looks exactly like we do, then we're going to miss a big part of the world of what God is calling us to. And that's what this guy is. He has a narrow view of who his neighbor is. You know who he thought his neighbor is? I'm just kind of giving you spoilers here already. He believed his neighbor was Jewish people. That's who he thought his neighbors were. He thought, yeah, I can love my neighbors myself as long as they're Jewish. And Jesus is about to blow his mind, right? Because he asked this question, and, and, and I think that leads us to the second point, which we need to ask more questions, but I think there's a secondary kind of point to this, and that is we don't need to just ask more questions. We need to start asking better questions. Because let's be honest, sometimes we ask a question in order for it to lead us to an answer that we already want to have. Right? Right? We might even ask the question in such a way as to say, I really, I really felt like, man, I, was, I did pretty awesome there uh, when I sang that song or when I did that thing or when I stood up and did this or when I did that math problem. I really thought I was pretty amazing. Um, but I wondered, what did you think? Well, that's kind of setting the, the goal there kind of higher and be like, well, you kind of made it feel awkward for them to actually tell you the truth at that point. Right? I think instead of asking questions in order to get the answers that we want, maybe we should start asking better questions and more questions in order to hear the truth and actually be willing to listen to that. So now, let's kind of make the turn here a minute. So Jesus asked this, you know, powerful question back, but then this guy says, well, that's great. I need to love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Great. Who's my neighbor? And, and the question I have for you is, why didn't Jesus ask him another question? Because he had answered the question with a question. Why didn't he do that in this case? Well, because Jesus knew this guy had a bias. He had a problem with wrong thinking. And Jesus knew that, and so he knew if he asked a question back this time, he was just going to get a false answer this time. He knew he was going to get the wrong answer, and so he wanted to blow this guy's mind and say, let me show you how wrong you are in who you think your neighbor is. And then he tells the story. Now, a lot of people, like, we don't think about it, but when we say the term Good Samaritan, oh, they're just, ah, oh, there's this Good Samaritan. For example, um, I've been off my notes quite a bit today, so we'll just keep going, all right? Uh, we were, when we we were going through Indiana on a four-lane highway. This was, I don't know, three years ago, and it was at night, raining, all that kind of stuff. There, there's another time to tell another part of this story because it's actually a pretty intense, horrible story, but we were traveling along, going like 70 miles an hour, and a deer came out right in front of the van, 
and we slammed into that thing, and it felt like we hit a wall. Airbags, everything, powder, slam, blew all over us. It was crazy, and it was at night, and this was a busy highway. There were people coming behind us, and we were like a dead stick on the highway, and it was raining like crazy. And so finally, we got the van off. I won't tell the, the rest of the story. At some point, I will. Uh, it's kind of an emotional story for me. But, but we get off to the side of the road, and, and there's, there's smoke coming and all this stuff. And it's clear that we were, the, the van is just totaled, just mashed. And it's dark, and it's raining. And all of a sudden, this, this couple saw what happened. They were right behind us, I think in the next lane over, and they went around us. They kind of saw what happened. They weren't, it wasn't fast enough for them to slam on the brakes, and they went flying around us, and we didn't know this, but we got off into the ditch, and they had gone up to the next place, turned around, come all the way back. It was a divided highway, all the way back around to the next place, come back all the way around to come up behind us and see if we needed help. And the, the, the van was, like, the van was not going to go anywhere. And they came in, and they took our kids, our three kids, and they put them in the vehicle with them. We didn't have a clue who they were. We're like, yep, just go sit in there. And it's just pouring down rain. And I'm checking the vehicle. I'm trying to grab whatever I can out of there because I don't know if I'm going to see the vehicle again. I, I don't know. And I'm still going crazy, and, you know, mom's shoulder hurt and everything. It was nuts. But these two people, they got us into their vehicle. They got us out of the rain, and they gave us an opportunity to get out of there. Truly good Samaritans. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. Turned out they were actually Christians. We had an amazing talk with them all the way down until the, our family met up with us and we transferred vehicles and we got to go on our way. But the question I have for you is, why is it a good Samaritan? Why did Jesus use the term Samaritan? Why did he say uh, Samaritan in this story? Why was that the person that is the hero? Well, the reason is because Jewish people and Samaritan people hated each other. That's, I, I, I'm not like, uh, you know, we could try to soften it up a bit, but they did. They hated each other. In their ethnicity, like in their religiosity, they believed different things about things, and they were, they were a separate group of people ethnically, and so they hated each other. They avoided each other. Jews would not go into Samaritans' houses, and Samaritans would not go into Jewish houses. It just didn't happen. They didn't do it. They hated each other. They didn't interact. They didn't talk to each other. You did not mingle with Samaritans if you were a Jewish person. Everybody knew that. And so what's interesting is Jesus has the guy who needs help as a Jewish man and the hero of the story is a Samaritan person. It's a Samaritan man. A Jewish man needs help, and a Samaritan man comes to his rescue. This was unheard of. Let me just try to put this in modern context, okay? If Jesus was talking here today, and he heard the question, you, let's say you asked him a question. Well, okay, I need to love my neighbor as myself. Cool. But who is my neighbor? I want to I justify who I need to love here. I don't want to love everybody. <laughs> That'd be crazy. And so I want to know, who is my neighbor? Like, who do I actually have to love? You know what Jesus would do? Let's, let's say that you're here and you're a Ford person. Like, you think people that, you know, drive Dodge Rams and Chevys, they're clearly like traitors. And they're obviously not smart, right? And some of you in here, you are Dodge people. And some of you are Chevy. And you're like, well, get what? Watch yourself there. 
right? But let's say, just for example, you're a Ford person. You only buy Ford. Ford trucks, like that's what you do. Well, you know what Jesus would do? Jesus would tell you the same story, but instead, the person who's driving the Ford is the one who broke down and got beat up, and the person who's driving the Chevy is the hero. Yeah. Let's say you love rock and roll, and you think people who listen to country music are dumb and annoying, right? You know what Jesus would do? The person who needs help just came from an ACDC concert, and the person coming away from the, you know, their country music stuff, they're playing it loudly as they drive by, and they see you in the ditch. And, you see, see the, and the country music person comes to the rescue. You see what Jesus did? Let me, let me dig in just a little bit more. We're having fun now. This one might not be as much fun. Let's say that you're a Republican. Oh. And you say, who is my neighbor? Well, then the Republican's the one laying in the ditch. And the Democrat comes by and is the hero of the story and says, who is your neighbor now? And by the way, if you're Democrat, it's vice versa too. You get it. You get what Jesus is doing, right? He's saying, everybody's your neighbor. You're trying to justify your actions. You're trying to determine who you're supposed to love. And Jesus is saying, everybody, <laughs> even when you hate them, you're supposed to love them. This would have blown their minds. Jesus is saying, your neighbor is everybody. And Jesus makes this point, but how does he make this point? He doesn't make it by asking a question. He doesn't make it by showing, you know, a PowerPoint presentation, right? Or, or, or making a big service about it. What does Jesus do? Jesus tells a story. And that brings me to the third point of what I think we need to do a lot more of as followers of Christ, as Christians. We need to just tell a story. There's a lot, there's way too much of Jesus, you need to believe in this, and the Bible is true, and science is weird, and all this. Whatever other kind of statements that we're trying to make is not really, is not really getting it. How, how many of you are finding that you're convincing a lot of people by shouting as loud as you can on social media and everywhere else? I'm just telling you, I'm reading the same things. I'm not being convinced, and it's not helping me even if I agree with them. I'm reading people who I agree with, and I'm cringing, and I read people who I disagree with, and I'm going, oh, man. I'm not convincing anybody. You know why? Because we're not actually being real about it. We're not asking questions. We're not listening, and we're not telling stories. And some of you would say, well, Jesus is pretty good at telling stories, and I'm not. You don't have to make up a story. Do you know what story you should probably be telling? Yours. You already know your story. You know it really well. Let's start telling people about how good God is. Let's start telling people about how faith has gotten us through the horrible, rotten, awful times in our lives. Let's talk about how Christians have rallied around us when, when things went badly. Let's talk about how God has showed up and give, gotten us through the stuff of life. That, and we don't like to share that. Why? Because it makes us look weak. No, it doesn't make you look weak. It makes you look faithful. We need to start telling our story. 
Let me give you an example of this. So uh, when I first began to realize that God was calling me into professional ministry for the rest of my life instead of teaching, um, I began to throw my name out to a lot of ministries and churches because I knew, okay, I need to start looking for jobs that have to do with that because that's where God was leading us. And I just started taking classes to prepare for, you know, being a pastor and all kind of stuff. And I didn't know exactly where God was going to lead or what I was going to be doing. And so I started just throwing my names out to, my name out to like churches and ministries all over the country. And, uh, and that first year, what ended up happening was, um, I got phone calls and emails from several different pastors and things like that, but every single time that I got a phone call or an email, they were asking me to come be on staff and be the children's ministry guy, like be the children's ministry pastor. In other words, I was going to be working with little kids, I was going to be working with families, and I'm going to be digging in and trying to help kindergartners know about Jesus and, and, and third graders learn a little bit more about the Bible and, and all that kind of stuff. And let me just tell you, I felt totally unqualified and inadequate. I was like, oh man, I can't do that. There's no way. Those kids are going to think I'm stupid. Right? I just imagined me trying to teach the kids and them, you know, have you seen those movies where they're in there just like there's this big guy and they're trying to, trying to make sure that they are all paying attention and they're just throwing stuff, and they get hit in the face, and all this stuff, and we laugh at those movies. Why? Because it's hilarious. That's the picture in my mind that I had. I was like, there's no way. They're not going to listen to me, and so I turned all of those opportunities down, and so finally got to the point where, again, throughout that whole first year, I was still, a te- I was still teaching at a public high school. Laura was still teaching third grade, and, I, and these things just kept coming, and so finally this one guy named Steve, he's a lead pastor at a church in North Dakota, he calls me and, and he says, so Brent, I, I want to I ask and see if, about the possibility of having you come on staff and be our children's ministry guy. <laughs> Great. This is like the sixth time, right? And so we had three long phone conversations, kind of like interviews over the phone, because I was in North Carolina, they were in North Dakota. It's a long ways, right? And so we wanted, we're kind of checking each other out here, see how things go. And let me just say, the, the, the conversations went really, really good. Like, it was amazing talking to this lead pastor, this guy named Steve, and, uh, and the church seemed amazing. It was a large church. It was like, man, this is, seems like just the, everything's right about this. It just seemed right. And so after the uh, third conversation at the end, you know, he's like, so Brent, I mean, what do you think? And, you know, you've prayed about it. You've thought about this. And I was like, yeah, I, I, just, I, just, don't, I just don't think it's for me. I shut him down. I said no. Mainly because I was scared to do it. Mainly. And I told Laura, I said, I told him, no, I'm just not feeling right about it. We had talked about it before, and so she knew that was coming. Well, thankfully, God prompted this lead pastor, Steve, to write me an email the next morning. He maybe wrote it that night, I don't know, whatever it is, but I got it the next day. And it was like, I mean, if you can imagine an email, single-spaced, three pages long if you print it out. Longest email I've ever gotten to this day. Single space. I mean, this thing, I I opened it up. I was like, oh, this is going to take me a few minutes. And basically, Pastor Steve explained to me why he felt, why he thought, at least was prompted by God to say, this is why I believe you're wrong. And you actually need to say yes. And you're, you're said no, but you should say yes. 
and this is why. He gave me practical reasons, and then he gave me godly reasons. And wouldn't you know it? Every single thing he said in that email was right. He nailed it. He knew. He knew what was going on. I was just scared. And so after that email, I went back to Laura and I said, Laura, I think we need to fly up there and interview. I think we need to do this. And so we did. And we ended up going to that church and I ended up being the children's ministry director. And let me just say, God did some amazing things. Amazing things. But you know what's even crazier? I know. Now I know. I didn't know back then, but now I know. There's no way Laura and I would have ended up here starting Northridge Church if it weren't for all the stuff that God had to work out of me and into me during those several years that I was a children's ministry guy. There's no way I'd be here. God knew the path that he wanted me to go on. See, when I tell that story, none of you are sitting here going, yeah, I don't believe it. I think you're full of it. I, I, I don't believe your statement. I don't believe what you say. Why? Because we don't argue with people's stories. We're not like, yeah, right. I don't even believe in that. They can't say they, that they don't believe in your story because it's your story. We need to start telling people our stories of faith, how God has showed up. Because why? Because they can't argue with that. If you give them a truth statement, if you throw a zinger at them, if you throw some political stance at them, they can argue with that all day long and probably will. But if you just start telling people your story, Lives can be transformed, truly. So the question I have for you today is very simply this. Jesus changed the world through a lot of different ways, but one of the main ways was by telling a story. He told a lot of stories. So the question is, what story do you need to start telling? And if you're ashamed of your story... That's Satan. That is Satan trying to keep you from sharing a story that's going to actually have power and impact on other people. That's shame. That doesn't come from God. If you don't want to share your story because you think it might change the relationship with somebody, well, let me just give you a newsflash. It will. I know. Encouraging. Okay, let's go get it, guys. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, it will, it will. Because when people find out how serious you are about your faith, it changes how they view you. I was just, I was at a wedding, I did a wedding last, uh, yesterday. By the way, whoo, swampy yesterday. It was an outdoor wedding. <laughs> it was no joke, right? The groom and the bride, man, their face, the joy on their face, even in spite of all the massive disappointment yesterday with all that rain, like, it was beautiful. But I was sitting at a table, and we were talking about how when people find out I'm a pastor, the, the conversation changes. And then they start replaying everything they said. They're like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I see, I see this on faces, like, all the time. Uh, and I'm like, well, what do, what do you do? And then they tell me, or, or sometimes they'll ask me, and I'll be like, um, 
I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, no. Oh, nothing could be worse. Oh, and all of a sudden the conversation gets weird and we have to act strange. And I'm like, we're just two people having a conversation still. And it doesn't change anything. We're good. It might change things a little bit. That's okay. I see this all the time. The question is, are you still willing to tell your story? Because people need to hear how God is working and has worked in and through your life. Absolutely. In fact, if you want to glorify God, one of the greatest ways is to lift him up by telling your story. So what's your story? Are you willing to tell it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for giving us a powerful story to tell. You gave us so many stories that we can repeat, but we can also repeat the fact that you love us, that your faith that is engaged in us. We, we can't have faith without you giving us faith. Everything we have, even our very breath, is by the grace of God. Everything we have is by the grace of God. This planet is spinning perfectly, and it's just the right distance from the sun because of the grace of God. We do not exist. Nothing exists without the grace of God. And so help us to honor and glorify your name with our friends, with our family, with complete strangers, with the people that we coach with, with the people that we're standing on the sidelines with, the people that we go to dinner with on Friday or Saturday. We go listen to a band together. Whatever it is, I pray that you would help us to glorify you, God, by sharing our stories, by telling about how good you are, how faithful you are, and how our faith has kept us going, has kept us moving forward. It hasn't been perfect, but that's another reason to tell our story, so that people don't think that walking with God is always going to be perfection. It's not. In this world, we're going to have trouble. We know that, God. But help us to tell the story so people will realize that you are faithful, you are consistent through every aspect of our story. Help us to lift you up, help us to promote you, help us to glorify your name. Help us to be honest with our questions and honest with our stories. And we look forward to the life change that happens as a result. And we've already seen this happen, God. A few weeks from now, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people. We've got so many people that want to get baptized already, God. This is going to be an amazing weekend in September when we do that. But God, all of that came out of stories. All of that came out because of how you worked in their life and they've told those stories. And, other body, and, and that started with somebody else telling them their story. So help us to be faithful to do that. Help us to glorify your name. Our hope, our joy in this life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.